Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Hi everyone, it's Vicki Basilica from the ASHP section of Clinical Specialists and Scientists. And I'd like you to welcome you to this special episode of Therapeutic Thursdays. Once again, I am excited to share some of the great clinical content that was a part of the 2020 Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Please enjoy this highlight and be sure to check back soon for more features. So NGAL is Neutrophil Gelatinase Associated Lipocalin. It exists in three different molecular forms, a monomer, a homodimer, and a heterodimer. The main cellular source for NGAL is the bone marrow where it's produced during myelopoiesis and it's stored in neutrophil granules. But it's also produced in uh, other tissues in the body, including in the colon, trachea, lung epithelium, and kidney epithelium. The biological functions of NGAL are related to iron siderophore complexing. So it's involved in intracellular iron transport via catecholate iron complexes, where it um, then allows the activation or repression of iron responsive genes. NGAL may also have a bacteriostatic effect through iron sequestration. Um, so if there's an immune response to a bacterial infection, neutrophils are there to provide a mobile source of NGAL to sequester iron, which can uh, have a bacteriostatic effect. And there can also be a local responsive effect from the uh, epithelial cells um, if, that are damaged. Additionally, NGAL may help prevent oxidative stress since iron can catalyze hydrogen peroxide conversion to oxygen-free radicals. Um, NGAL there, either from neutrophils or from the local response, um, may help produce or may help reduce cell cellular injury uh, by preventing that um, hydrogen peroxide conversion. In the kidney, NGAL is filtered by the glomerulus but reabsorbed at the proximal tubule. So in the setting of an ischemic injury or a nephrotoxic injury, NGAL is upregulated at the mRNA and protein level. It's produced in the ascending loop of Henle in the intercalcated cells of the collecting duct, and there's apical and basolateral secretion from the epithelial cells. If there is a reversible pre-renal AKI, there's not an increase in NGAL production in the kidney. So it's only from the direct effect on the epithelial cells. And there is an increase in serum, in serum and urine NGAL that occurs um, after injury. And NGAL elevation is detectable at three hours after injury and the levels peak at six to 12 hours after injury. And this elevation occurs prior to the serum creatinine elevation being detectable. So in AKI, there can be two different sources of the NGAL elevation, though first would be just production from the extrarenal tissues and the neutrophils um, from a systemic inflammation or a systemic response. So this form would primarily be the homodimeric form and induced by systemic inflammation. As far as the renal um, production of NGAL, again, this will occur with a direct uh, injury to the renal tubular epithelial cells and can contribute to an increase in serum NGAL. And then an increase in urine NGAL would occur because uh, the filtered NGAL would not be 
reabsorbed by the proximal tubule. And if there's infiltration of neutrophils into the kidney, this can also be a, a source of increased NGAL. For testing, there's currently not an FDA-approved NGAL platform, but there are commercially available research use-only assays, which many people do use. Um, it just can present some challenges for billing in, in clinical use. Um, outside the U.S., there are several platforms that are uh, available for clinical use. And there are different methodologies to different tests, which I would like to review, um, but I'm not going to go into great detail. I just kind of want to make you aware that there are different um, platforms out there. So the first is the chemiluminescent assay, um, which can be run in the urine. And this uses mouse antibodies to detect um, isotopes of the NGAL. There's a turbinometric assay, which can be run in the urine or plasma. And this is available to be run on a variety of, of automated chemistry analyzers. And then there's ELISA assays. There's many of these that are available um, commercially and also people have their own research ones as well. Um, and they can be run on a variety of samples depending on which assay you're using. For NGAL interpretation, there's not a standard AKI definition for NGAL values as depending on which test you're using, um, the reference ranges may vary. It's also been found that normal ranges vary by age and gender in both children and adults. So there was a 2012 study of adult subjects. They looked at 174 subjects who were 19 to 88 years old, and they found the 95th percentile urine NGAL in this population was 107 nanograms per ml. But when they looked at women versus men, they found that women had a significantly higher uh, 95th percentile NGAL. And also looking at age groups, the older patient group, which was um, age 60 to 88, had a higher um, urine NGAL compared to the uh, 40 to 59 year old group. And when it was adjusted for creatinine, it was also higher compared to the um, less than 40 age group. These adults or these results have also been seen in children. Um, so Bennett and colleagues in 2015 looked at 368 healthy children and measured the urine NGAL. They also found it was significantly higher in females than males, and they also found differences in age. So when they looked at uh, patients in 10 to 15 year age group and 15 to 18 year age group, they had significantly higher NGALs compared to the three to five year and five to 10 year age groups. So this is kind of a standard cutoff range um, that you might use for uh, interpreting a urinary NGAL. So less than 50 would be considered low risk. And then if you're above 150, um, that would be moderate or greater than 300 would be high risk. And then the 50 to 150 range is a little equivocal, um, which you can kind of see based on the 95th percentile results we discussed earlier. For an FDA approved test, it will probably the reference range will depend on the population it's approved in. So if it gets approval in pediatrics versus adults and um, the exact um, indication it's approved for. So I want to go a little bit into the data regarding the utility of using NGAL for AKI. And really the first study was seen in pediatric patients um, looking at patients post cardiac surgery. Um, so they 
looked at urine N-gal as early biomarker and looked at serial and serial urine and blood samples, um, looking at the primary outcome of kidney injury, which was defined as a 50% increase in serum creatinine from baseline. They looked at the receiver operating characteristic curves for the urine N-gal at two and four hours post uh, cardiopulmonary bypass and for serum N-gal at two hours post bypass. They did exclude patients with pre-existing kidney disease, diabetes, peripheral vascular disease, and nephrotoxic medication use prior to or during the study period. While they evaluated 100 children, they included only 71. The other 29 were excluded due to nephrotoxic medication receipt. And 28% of the patients had acute kidney injury within three days per the serum creatinine criteria. 11% of patients had AKI within 24 to 48 hours, and 17% had AKI within 48 to 72 hours. And all the patients in the study had nearly undetectable urine NGAL prior to surgery, um, but they had significant elevations in both urine and serum NGAL starting at two hours post-bypass. And the urine NGAL at two hours independently predicted AKI. And the performance of the um, AUC under the ROC curve um, was quite high for urine NGAL and serum NGAL um, at two and four hours. And then they found that 25 to 50 nanograms per ml was the most sensitive and specific cutoff for urine NGAL at two and four hours post bypass. So this study um, was maybe not the most generalizable because children tend to have fewer comorbidities than adults, um, which can affect the performance of biomarkers. And they excluded a lot of patients um, you know, who received nephrotoxin or had underlying kidney dysfunction. However, it did show that urine and serum NGAL were sensitive and specific markers or predictors of AKI at two and four hours post bypass, and that it could definitely be used to detect AKI earlier than our standard serum creatinine clinical method. Now I wanna highlight a meta-analysis um, that was conducted in 2009 um, that looked at uh, NGAL for diagnosis and prognosis of AKI in a variety of clinical settings. The studies were included if they had plasma, serum, or urine NGAL within six hours of injury or 24 to 48 hours before AKI. The primary outcome was AKI within seven days or um, having contrast-induced nephropathy. And the secondary outcome was renal replacement therapy uh, and in-hospital mortality. They included 19 studies of about 2,500 patients that included both pediatric and adult patients from eight countries. And the majority of the studies used ELISA-based assays. And they found that NGAL performed well overall across all the settings and performed better in children than in adults. And they found that both plasma, serum, and urine uh, assays performed similarly. And they did find that AKI was less predictive of, or sorry, that NGAL is less predicted of, of AKI in critically ill patients, and that prognostic, and that it was prognostic for need for renal replacement therapy and in hospital mortality. They had a range of cutoffs for, um, for AKI, which ranged from 100 to 270, but there was kind of agreement for a cutoff of greater than 150 on the non research based platforms. So in conclusion from this meta-analysis, NGAL had 
diagnostic and prognostic value across a variety of settings and populations. Another area for clinical use that I wanted to highlight was use in the emergency department. Um, you know, since NGAL can, can identify AKI potentially earlier, and the ED is an area where you kind of have to decide the disposition of patients in a more rapid manner, it could potentially be useful to use there. Um, and so this is a prospective cohort study at three centers um, that looked at patients who were admitted from the ED for at least 24 hours. And they actually measured five different urinary biomarkers at the time of hospital admission. And then they compared the performance of the biomarkers uh, in patients with normal kidney function, stable chronic kidney disease, pre-renal AKI, intrinsic AKI, and then other patients who were classified as uncertain. The intrinsic AKI, there's not really a gold standard for uh, classifying those patients as having intrinsic AKI. It was basically patients who had AKI and then had a condition that's like commonly associated with uh, intrinsic AKI. So there was a long list, but it was things like shock, um, nephrotoxins, chemotherapy, glomerulonephritis, kind of just anything that would make it likely that you had intrinsic AKI. So the study included 1,600 patients, the majority of whom had normal kidney function, um, and there were 96 patients who had intrinsic AKI. The second, the second most common group was the patients who had uncertain diagnosis. In the patients with intrinsic AKI, all the urinary biomarkers were um, different when compared to the other diagnosis groups. And then the AUC to ROC analyses showed the best discriminatory ability among the biomarkers for NGAL. They also found that NGAL and cystatin C were higher in patients who had um, sustained AKI, which was defined as an AKI that lasted longer than 72 hours. So in patients who had AKI greater than 72 hours, it was higher than in patients who had less than 72 hours. They also found that the AUC um, improved the performance of the NGAL improved progressively with increasing peak rifle class. So for patients who had a worse AKI, the AUC um, under the ROC was higher. And then they also found that both urine NGAL and kidney injury marker one were independent predictors of the composite endpoint of mortality or dialysis. So this was a multi-center study with diverse populations and diverse kidney diseases, um, which showed that um, NGAL was useful in identifying patients who had intrinsic AKI and also predicting clinical outcomes of needing dialysis or mortality. However, it was a little limited by um, the definition of intrinsic AKI. And so in this study, NGAL had good discriminatory ability um, and potentially could be used in this setting to predict clinical outcomes. So now I just want to pause and take a self-assessment. Um, given what you've learned so far about NGAL, what conditions or comorbidities do you think could have an effect on the reliability of NGAL for AKI? Probably the most obvious one that we've kind of hinted at already is that systemic inflammation can lead to increases in plasma and urine NGAL. Um, and we kind of saw this in the meta-analysis too, where patients in the ICU, it did not perform as it performed well, but not as well as in other populations. And this could be because of um, you know, underlying issues. Additionally, because um, 
neutrophils can infiltrate in urinary tract infections. This can increase the urine end gout in that setting without actually um, being related to an increase in or to AKI. And then there's also some thought that NGAL may be less reliable in patients with chronic kidney disease. Um, so in 2010, there was a post hoc analysis of 426 adult cardiac surgery patients, who, and it was looking at serial urine NGALs between patients with and without AKI, but they stratified the patients by eGFR range. And for patients who had an estimated GFR of greater than 60, NGAL was different at all post-operative time points between patients with and without AKI. But in the difference in the patients with a GFR of less than 60, there was no difference. So it did not perform as well in the patients who had a GFR of less than 60 compared to the patients who had a GFR above 60. So now I want to kind of think about areas where it might be useful for us to use NGAL. So one uh, interesting study um, looked at the potential cost effectiveness of using NGAL in the ED um, to potentially classify AKI um, better and more quickly, and if that could decrease cost. So this was a cost simulation model for adult patients in the emergency department who had a creatinine of greater than 1.5. And they looked at using serum creatinine alone versus serum creatinine with a urine NGAL to diagnose AKI. And they considered an elevated serum creatinine is greater than 1.75 and an elevated urine NGAL of greater than 125. And they used cost information from Medicare and they used information um, from the literature to build the model. And then they took data from patients from two different hospitals uh, to consider in the model. And the treatment costs for NGAL, um, urine NGAL increased by 50, increased the cost by $50. So with urine NGAL, delayed treatment occurred in out of 10,000 patients, 1,500 1, fewer patients um, at institution one and 1,900 uh, 1,900 fewer patients at Institution 2, which resulted in expected total cost savings of $408 at Institution 1 and $522 at Institution 2 per patient. Um, so this demonstrated in a model that urine NGAL might be useful in this setting to reduce costs and improve patient care, more importantly. The use of NGAL is also established in drug development. Um, as part of the FDA's Center for Drug Evaluation and Research Bio Biomarker Qualification Program. And so this program works with external stakeholders to develop and qualify bi biomarkers for use in drug development. And the qualification of the means the biomarker is reliable in the stated context of use to develop this, uh, to support the specified manner and in interpretation in drug development. So there is a urinary nephrotoxicity biomarker panel um, that was approved in 2018 that can be used to aid in the detection of kidney tubular injury in phase one trials in healthy volunteers. And uh, NGAL is a component of this biomarker panel, um, and it's specifically the ELISA test by BioPorto that's included. So kind of reflecting back on everything we've seen what are some ways that you think you might consider using NGAL in your practice?
So there was a nice case series out of Cincinnati Children's um, kind of describing ways they've used uh, NGAL at their institution. And I kind of just wanted to highlight some of the ideas here. So the first was anticipation of tubular injury. So this is to help determine uh, the cause of rising serum creatinine, if it's due to pre-renal etiology or intrinsic renal uh, etiology. And this can help predict the decline of kidney function prior to changes in serum creatinine or urine output. And again, this is because NGAL is more responsive than serum creatinine, and it can also help delineate between a pre-renal or intrinsic etiology. The second was prognosis of tubular recovery. So decreasing urine NGAL in the setting of serum creatinine can help you potentially predict the course of injury, again, because NGAL will recover more quickly than serum creatinine. Another potential use is to predict response to therapy. So decreasing NGAL in the setting of stable or rising serum creatinine might prompt you to trial diuresis for fluid overload instead of initiating renal replacement therapy because the urine NGAL should recover more quickly than serum creatinine. They also describe its use to determine kidney recovery in the setting of renal replacement therapy. Um, so a decreasing NGAL while on continuous renal replacement therapy might indicate renal recovery um, since urine NGAL is not affected by dialysis whereas the serum creatinine would be kind of uninterpretable in that setting. So my key takeaways from this presentation is that NGAL is a sensitive and specific marker for nephrotoxic and ischemic AKI, as well as clinical outcomes, such as the need for renal replacement therapy and mortality. It can be used to detect AKI within hours after injury, which is much faster compared to our current serum creatinine, which can take days. Um, so the major limitation is the lack of FDA approval for an NGAL test. Um, which kind of limits its widespread use, at least in the U.S. So maybe not quite ready to go with that aspect, but the data is pretty robust to support its use overall. Thanks so much for listening into today's episode from the 2020 Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. It's features and content like this that make the ASHB Mid-Year Clinical Meeting the place to learn and to take your practice to the next level. Be sure to join us in December for more great clinical content. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.